Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Kettle and Fire Bone Broths are one of the products that has a permanent place on my pantry shelf. As you know, I am a big fan of making food from scratch, and I love making food with bone broth as well. Caveat, assuming you can find high-quality grass-fed and finished bones. But if you're like me, you don't always have the time and or foresight to make your own bone broth from scratch. That is why I always have some Kettle and Fire on hand for when I want a quick, delicious, high-quality bone broth. Their broths are always made with organic veggies, herbs, and spices, and they only use grass-fed and finished beef bones and pasture-raised chicken bones. They never use anything artificial, no preservatives, no coloring, no flavorings, no junk ever. That is why I'm happy to be partnering with them for my podcast. They are a company that I can rely on to make high-integrity products. As a listener, you can save 25% off any of their products at kettleandfire.com. Just use code JUSTINGREDIENTS at checkout. That is kettleandfire.com, K-E-T-T-L-E-A-N-D-F-I-R-E.com. Danielle Walker is a three times New York Times bestselling author, health advocate, and self-trained chef. After being diagnosed with an extreme case of an autoimmune disease, ulcerative colitis, at 22, Danielle made it her personal mission to take control of her life, effectively manage her symptoms through lifestyle and diet without sacrificing her passion for great tasting, healthy food. Over 10 years, thousands of recipes and three New York Times bestselling cookbooks, Danielle has become a beacon of hope in the autoimmune world, helping millions of readers suffering from disease, allergies, or chronic ailments and find freedom and experience through deep healing. Over 10 years, thousands of recipes, and three New York Times best-selling cookbooks, Danielle has become a beacon of hope in the autoimmune world, helping millions of readers suffering from disease, allergies, or chronic ailments find freedom and experience deep healing. Now, in Food Saved Me, Danielle pens her first memoir, reflecting on the journey that brought her here, a decade-long cycle of diagnosis, trauma, debilitating sickness, remission, recovery, setbacks, hope, and healing. Danielle's resilience in the face of sickness and loss led her to new ways of cooking, which ultimately redeemed her health and the ideal of hospitality. Through her trials, tribulations, and triumphs, you'll find that no matter your ailment, there is hope. Hope that you can live a full, happy, and healthy life without ever feeling hungry, excluded, or deprived. Because the truth is, food can radically change our lives for the better. Thank you, Danielle, so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you about your health journey because it's quite a remarkable health journey. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. So tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you became interested in healthy living. Yeah, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called ulcerative colitis when I was 22 years old, uh, almost 14 years ago. And actually exactly 14 years ago. Uh, and I suffered for years just in and out of hospitals and 
was put on a lot of different medications that unfortunately, while some did help control some of the symptoms, the side effects were almost more debilitating than, than the disease. And ultimately long story short, that's written all in this new book, food saved me found that food could make a significant impact on the symptoms, just the day-to-day kind of well-being and, and my lifestyle. Wow. You were young when you were diagnosed with that. I was. Yeah. My husband and I had just gotten married. We were like eight weeks into our marriage when I was diagnosed. Oh, that's a hard trial. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's tell my listeners what ulcerative colitis is. Yeah. It's an autoimmune disease that causes inflammation in the colon specifically, and it results in actual open ulcers. That's why it's called that throughout the entire colon. And it also causes malabsorption. Uh, Those ulcers end up bleeding internally. And so people that have the disease tend to get really anemic, low weight because of not being able to absorb nutrients, um, lots of other things, lots of pain. And, you know, it can ebb and flow. It goes through what people call flare ups. So you can go through six months, a year, you know, two years, everybody's a bit different feeling. Okay. And then all of a sudden it can flare up and kind of rear its ugly head. And there's lots of varying degrees to the severity of it. Uh, I actually have a family member that has it. That's fairly mild. I know people that have it like I do where I've nearly lost my life from it and been hospitalized, you know, having to have blood transfusions, really high doses of medication. So it really can kind of vary just depending on the individual. Okay. So I'm curious to know, did you just all of a sudden start having symptoms or was this years of symptoms? How did you know something was wrong? Yeah, it pretty much came on overnight. Uh, About six months before my wedding, I was graduating college and we were getting ready to move my fiance, my husband now at the time, uh, and he was about to start law school. There's just a lot going on. And so I did kind of notice some stomach just upset, but nothing that felt really out of the ordinary. But that two months after our wedding, I just felt like the symptoms kind of came on full speed overnight. And I went to the ER and wasn't diagnosed there. It ultimately took, I think, four or five different specialists to finally get a true diagnosis, but it wasn't something that I, you know, grew up with. It wasn't something that I spent years and years trying to find a diagnosis for. It really did feel like it just came out of nowhere. Oh, that's interesting. So when you say it came out of nowhere, what were those symptoms? Yes. Well, ulcerative colitis symptoms are not very uh, pretty to talk about. (laughs) I always tell people, if you really want to know, you can Google it. It's probably one of the most embarrassing diseases that a young newlywed woman could ever, you know, fathom getting. Uh, It's all digestive. And so it can be, you know, really, really bad cramps that can make you just have to lay down on the ground. They're so bad, just abdominal cramping and, you know, very high amounts of bowel movements with bleeding, um, not being able to just keep anything down, losing weight very, very quickly, you know, sometimes 20 to 30 pounds within two to three weeks, Uh, just joint pain from all the inflammation. I mean, there's a whole slew of things. Mine always ended up ending up in in anemia, which then caused kind of this other long laundry list of symptoms that I was experiencing just from being low on, on iron and my hemoglobin uh, blood count. So, but it's, it's a laundry list of side effects and, and symptoms. Okay. So you said you went to the hospital, but you weren't diagnosed there. 
You went to a few more doctors. How were you finally diagnosed? Yeah, I go through it in the book, just about how many different doctors I had to go to, how I had to learn really quickly. And my husband as well, because he was with me at all of those appointments, just about becoming an advocate for your own health. And, you know, I saw multiple gastroenterologists, which they focus on the gut. They treat people with Crohn's and colitis and celiac and other, you know, digestive diseases all the time. And I think it took three for one to finally even do a a colonoscopy, um, which, you know, is a, is an internal kind of test to really get a look in there. And looking back on it, we just are, we didn't know to ask, you know, for those tests. I was, we were young and we had no idea what was going on. Um, but it, it took quite some time (laughs) and a lot of, a lot of different appointments to finally figure it out. So three doctors before you got a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. That is crazy to me. I can't I know, believe that wouldn't would be... be their first. Yes, yeah. exactly. Wow. Okay. So is a colonoscopy the best test then to find this? For ulcerative colitis, I believe so. From what I understand, um, they can do a, an endoscopy, I think as well, where they, you know, go in from the top as opposed from the bottom. Um, but that was the most, like the quickest way to be able to see what was going on in there. Um, there's a lot of blood tests now that I realize that you can run just to check inflammation levels, which are very indicative of different autoimmune diseases. So there were some, you know, even preliminary tests that I'm surprised were never run even before the colonoscopy was done to, you know, take biopsies and, and actually make sure that that's what it was. And looking back, do you know why they didn't run the tests? <laughs> I have no, no idea still. No, it baffles <sighs> me. Um, you'll read kind of all about my frustration because I hear it echoed from so many people. I don't know if it's because I was a young 22 year old woman that looked, you know, otherwise healthy. And if they just weren't taking me seriously, uh, if they thought, you know, it was just kind of something that was just going to go away. I was told, you know, to do everything from adding a cup of oat bran for fiber to my, my shakes, to getting like an over-the-counter Metamucil to just, you know, doctors saying, just wait it out. So it was a lot of trying to get answers at the beginning. And and I don't know why they didn't run the tests, honestly. (laughs) Well, and I love that you say you have to become an advocate for yourself because it's so true. Cause I went in my health journey, I was dealing with depression and I went to doctor after doctor after doctor. And when I finally found a good doctor, well, one that could help me, she was like, well, we need to test your vitamin D and your B vitamins, and we need to look at your hormones and, you know, this whole slew of things. And I'm like, what tests have you been done already? And I'm like, none. In two years of trying to find help for depression, not a single doctor ran a test, but I didn't know at the time. I didn't realize that those were root causes of depression. So I understand your frustration and now being like, I don't know why they didn't test. Like, can you believe it? And it's unfortunate, you know, I mean, I write a lot about in the book, how I've come to have an appreciation for Western medicine and for, you know, the healing properties of food and managing your stress and your mental health and and all of those things. But it's still frustrating to me to this day that the first inclination of most of the doctors that I saw was just to write me a prescription, even if it was the Metamucil over the counter, you know, or upwards to steroids and things like that. But it was never let's run tests to see about your different, you know, levels on all these different things so that we can maybe figure out why this is happening so that then we can treat it properly, right? It was just kind of this one one size fits all prescription right off the bat, but not testing any of those vitamin levels, anything like that to see, you know, and tailor my specific treatment for what was actually happening internally. 
Well, and I've learned over the years that that's bringing Western medicine and Eastern medicine together. Yeah. And I'm a big right. advocate of that because I Same. have a lot of family members in the Western medicine world. And so I yeah. get that world, but I also love the Eastern world type of medicine. So I just wish we would merge the two a little bit together. I do too. I've the said the best that. of both yep. worlds. I agree. I agree. They're not mutually exclusive. I think there's a place for both. And I think they can really actually, you know, be able to heighten each other. When you use one, I think it can make the other more effective and, you know, vice versa. So yes, I agree. I wish that there wasn't such a divide on the treatments there. Right. I definitely agree. Okay. So you were diagnosed and they just gave you a prescription then. And the prescription was to heal it or just to cover up the symptoms? Cover up the symptoms. Yeah. I was diagnosed and, you know, I just remember saying, what does this mean? You know? And he said, well, it's not curable. I said, okay. And he said, but you know, take this medication and this medication. I think at that point he prescribed me too. And he said, you'll be able to live a completely normal life. So yeah, it was to be able to manage the symptoms. And so was there anything about lifestyle changes at all or just the prescription? Nope. Just the prescriptions at that point. I mean, that point leaving the hospital, I'd been there for a couple of days. I felt like I left there with no more information than I came in with other than this two word ulcerative colitis diagnosis. Like I didn't hear the words autoimmune disease. I was not talked to at all about what life might look like other than take these and you'll be normal. Um, nothing about food or stress or sleep, or even as you know, simple as, Hey, we just gave you antibiotics and did a colonoscopy. You should try to take some probiotics and repopulate your gut. I mean, nothing other than the prescriptions. That was it. And did those prescriptions help manage the symptoms or not really? Not really, you know, um, a bit coming out of the hospital, especially because the symptoms were pretty acute at that point. And so there were some improvements in some of the symptoms, but unfortunately one of the medications, uh, just made all of the other things just skyrocket, you know, all of the side effects that I wasn't told about actually when I was sent home with the medication. And so I felt like I had 15 or 20 more symptoms that were kind of added on top of the disease symptoms. So I felt worse in all in all, it might've been controlling the symptoms of the disease itself, but I, I came out feeling much worse. Oh, that's so frustrating. And you hear that often from people. Yeah. I mean, they're trying yeah. their best, but it's not a one fit all for everybody. Right. So, okay. So were you frustrated at this point? Is this what led you to trying to figure out more on your own? Yeah, I had started asking pretty early on if food could help. And every doctor that I saw said food couldn't help cure or it didn't cause it. And I just felt like there has to be another way, you know, so whether it's a different medication that doesn't have so many side effects, or there's something else I can be doing, you know, to try to lessen the inflammation and just trying to kind of lessen the symptoms. And I've got to find something else because it was not the normal that I had dreamt up as a newlywed and had planned, you know, my whole life, my future. Um, I just knew that there was no way I could live like that. Okay. So I'm dying to know what food changes you had to make then what <laughs> food changes did you find that helped your symptoms? Yeah. 
It was a very slow process. And again, in Food Saved Me, I kind of write out everything because I really wanted people to see the journey that I had to go on to figuring out what was best for my body, because I think that's what's so important is it's just like medications, food and diet and lifestyle is also not a one size fits all. And it takes a lot of nuancing, but I have ultimately after doing an elimination diet with kind of a more natural practitioner in San Francisco, found that all of my food sensitivities looked really closely to a paleo diet. So I was cutting grains and dairy and legumes and processed sugars. And at that point, even a little more uh, intense in cutting nuts and seeds and nightshades, which are uh, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant. And those are all you know, known kind of inflammatory foods. And so we started there. And with that food kind of elimination, I noticed a 75% improvement in my symptoms within 48 hours. I walked into her office so sick and I was, you know, journaling and keeping track of my symptoms and I saw them decrease by that much and that quickly. And so that was like my turning point and, and what I ended up sticking with for the most part. So I'm curious, did you ever add some of those foods back in or you completely avoid those still? Yes, I did. Um, so that's been, that was about 12 years ago. There's been a few things I've been off of grains and gluten for 12 plus years. Um, a dairy I was off of for a few years and her kind of mentality of it was, you know, give your body some time to heal and give your gut some time to heal. And, and over the years I've noticed I can tolerate different things. So for instance, I can't do any cow's milk cream, things like that, but cheeses that are aged, you know, where the lactose is pretty much gone, um, goat's milk and sheep's milk type cheeses or yogurts, their, their protein structure is quite different than cow's milk. And so I've found that my body can tolerate those a bit better. Uh, legumes never have been added back in and, you know, processed foods and sugars I've kept out. I've stuck pretty closely over the last 12 years to kind of that paleo framework with, with some specific nuances that fit best for me. That's really interesting. So do you ever have a processed food or you just completely stay away from it? I'm like, I, I mean, I will get every once in a while with my kids, we'll get like a gluten-free baked good, which I guess you could consider processed and it would have, you know, refined sugar in it, but, um, we don't buy anything in the house. And when I'm, yeah, when I'm eating out, I don't do that either. I'm like trying to rack my brain. I mean, it's never been a perfect journey. Gluten. I have not touched ever since then, because I know that it's just, it's too risky for me, (laughs) but yeah, no, I mean, I have to have things here and there, especially if I'm traveling and things like that. Okay. So gluten and dairy are, were the big culprits. Oh, and legumes. Yeah. And well, and grains really, it wasn't just, yeah, yeah, it wasn't just gluten. It was, I tried gluten-free at first and noticed kind of minimal improvement, but it was all grains that I ended up having to cut out. Um, which, you know, wheat, rye, barley, rice. I mean, there's a whole long laundry list, amaranth. I mean, quinoa is not technically a grain, but we cut that as well. Uh, And I had to learn, I had to learn what a grain was. I didn't even, you couldn't, if you asked me, I could not list them out. I had no idea. (laughs) That's actually how I was at first when I started my health journey. So I tell people you can do it. You can learn one one little thing at a time. Yep. It is. It's a learning curve, but if, you know, if you, if you're determined to do it, you definitely can, you have to start somewhere. Exactly. So have you added any grains back in or are you still off all grains? 
Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm off grain still. Um, I always am honest about it. You know, I like my kids, so my kids eat gluten-free hundred percent of the time, but they are able to tolerate some grains, mostly rice. And so if I get something for them that has like rice flour in it, I, I will take a bite. <laughs> it's not like a, I, I know, I know I can't eat a lot of it because it will make me sick, but I definitely test the boundaries, especially over this many years, but everything that I make, every recipe that I make, every meal that I make is grain-free. So you've had to go on a real trial and error type diet (laughs) and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, I I have. And trial and error in creating the recipes, you know, I mean, I've, if you, if you see me now as a, as a four-time cookbook author and a blogger, you know, it, it seems like I've kind of always had it right, but it, there, it was quite a journey and quite a process, not only to figuring out what worked for me and keeping a food journal and really looking at, you know, what I ate and the correlation of the symptoms, but then getting into the kitchen and not having any guidelines or framework. I mean, there weren't any books at that point to teach you how to cook that way. And everything that I knew growing up in an Italian family and, you know, all my, my mom's and my grandma's recipe cards. I mean, I couldn't eat any of the things that were listed on there. So it took a lot of trial and error on that side of things too, to be able to really enjoy the food and to feel like I could get my life back. Well, I'm just sitting here thinking, wow, I would have a hard time in the kitchen. I need your cookbooks because everything (laughs) I stay away from gluten. I don't do well with gluten, but I do use oat flour a lot. And so I'm thinking, oh, I would have to readjust a lot of stuff that I cook. Yeah. So yes, I'm going to talk to you about your cookbooks in just a second, because I'm now fascinated with that and what you're cooking. But I want to ask you a couple things. So while you were healing from this colitis, um, Mm -hmm. what did you learn about healing your gut? Yeah, I've learned a lot over the years and I feel like I'm always learning. I'm still learning, you know, with autoimmune disease, as I think with any chronic illness, you have setbacks and you have bumps and it hasn't been a perfect journey for me. And I was able to be really honest about all of those things in the book, but I've learned uh, that, you know, inflammation is the biggest proponent. I mean, it's like, you have to try to keep the inflammation down, especially for healing your gut. And for people with UC, with Crohn's, even with, you know, something like just gut permeability, you know, making everything that you eat just as easy as possible on your gut for digestion. So, you know, specifically when I was having flare-ups of all cooked vegetables, cooked fruits, you know, things that your gut doesn't have to process as much. And then doing things like eating tons and tons of soup with homemade bone broth with like healing gelatin and and collagen, you know, so that your, your gut kind of gets almost like this little extra, extra cushion, this extra love um, to the things like, you know, repopulating the gut bacteria, which also helps your immune system uh, just so much. And then really, you know, I mean, I think you, uh, the biggest thing that I've learned and especially over the last few years is just how much stress and lack of sleep and not processing, you know, emotional trauma can affect your gut, right? I think people always say, you know, you get like a stomach ache when you're nervous or you, if you're feeling overly stressed, you can kind of feel it in your stomach for a lot of people. And I think they're, that's so real and true. And it's just like this kind of innate feeling of like, oh, my stomach feels off because I've, you know, got butterflies or, or whatnot. And so I've learned too, just to be able to have really good gut health. I also have to look at all of the other aspects of my life. I love that you say that because a lot of people think, oh, it's just food that affects the gut, but really stress is terrible on the gut. And so many people are just dealing with so much stress these days. And then 
even lack of sleep, not enough sleep yeah. because sleep is when our digestive system rests and it needs yes, that rest. Right. And so without enough sleep, that can also cause a lot of gut issues. So yeah. I do love that you said repopulate with good bacteria because that is so good, like probiotics and probiotics. Yep. So can you eat probiotic rich food? I can. Yeah. So when I'm in, especially because I have a digestive disease, when I'm in what they call a flare up, you know, eating too much fermented foods, sauerkraut and kimchi or, you know, kefir can be a little hard to digest. So I'll switch to kind of a supplement there, but I'm pretty diligent in making sure that I get some sort of probiotic kind of rich food in my diet every day. And then I do take a supplement on top of it, just especially because with UC, it's hard to absorb things, but I have always found it fascinating, you know, that the United States is pretty much the only culture in the world that doesn't have like a cultured food as a probiotic rich food is kind of just part of like their daily diet. You know, I feel right. like everywhere you look, there's something that's been eaten for generations and generations that is fermented. And I think it's so important for our gut health. I do too. I wish it was in more of our common meals, like you said. Yes. But yeah, I, I mean, even just a couple tablespoons of some sauerkraut on the side or, you know, whatever it is. And people turn their noses up to it because it is, it's sour, it's yogurt, it's kefir, you know, it's all those things that do have a little bit of a, a zing to them, but they're so good for you. Yeah. Well, maybe you and I can make it more common for people. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love that you said that you do bone broth because I'm yeah. a big advocate of that, like just in soups and cooking meat and potatoes. I love to cook my yeah. quinoa in bone broth. So yep. I love hearing that that was something you do on, do you do it on a daily basis or? I do. I mean, I try to do the best I can. I will say like, it's always easier for me during the winter, you know, to right. sip on a mug of bone broth or to eat a bowl of soup. And usually during the summers and when it's hot, I, I don't do as well as I would like to, but yeah, I really try to get it at least every day. And if not, you know, a couple scoops of collagen, even though it's not as bioavailable. And I don't feel like it has as many vital nutrients that bone broth has, but yes, I mean, I constantly have it in my freezer. I think we're so lucky now because we can actually buy, you know, gelatin collagen rich bone broth in the store these days. So if you don't have time to make it, it's so easy to access. And yeah, I mean, I grew up just using like a can of chicken broth that had, I don't think much, if any nutritional value and definitely wasn't jelly, you know, when right. it was cold. And I learned about how important that was in kind of my earlier days of, of trying all of the different food things. Well, I love though that bone broth has become more common. So yeah, almost trendy. It is trendy. So that's a good <laughs> that's thing. Okay. We're going to make these yeah. foods trendy. Yep. Yep. That's a good thing. <laughs> okay. Talking about supplements, let's talk about supplements for a minute. When you were healing or on your journey of healing, did you take supplements to help out? Yeah, it's been a, a little bit of an up and down road for supplements for me. And, and I get to kind of go in on, in on that a little bit more too. And food saved me just about, you know, in the earlier days, I had people throwing lists of their, what supplements worked well for them. Right. And, and because I was so just kind of frantic and trying to figure out what could work, I would take everything that they said. And there were no, you know, dosages that were up or down, depending on my body weight or my age. I just did what people told me to, and it didn't work with practitioners at the beginning. And I think some things made things worse. Um, and it was really hard to be able to really pinpoint and tell when you're taking, you know, 20 new things as well as trying to change your diet. 
And so they've been an integral part of, you know, healing over the years, but it's always constantly being nuanced. And, and thankfully I have, you know, a functional medicine practitioner that I work with now, but yeah, the gut healing supplements, the probiotics, uh, inflammatory type things like, you know, cod liver oil and, and, and other things like that, just to help my body be able to balance naturally, if you will, you know, cause there's only so much you can eat all the food, but I mean, you have to get a lot of things in like leafy greens and a lot of fish and a lot, you know, to really be able to get the levels that sometimes people need. And especially for somebody that has ulcerative colitis or Crohn's where you're not absorbing those nutrients, you know, as readily, or if you can't keep much food down. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, supplements have been, I think a big part of the journey as well. So you still take supplements today then obviously. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, it ebbs and flows again. It's, you know, I, I there's, I take more when I'm feeling like there's symptoms or, you know, there are things are, are starting to kind of go downhill, but I take a few that, you know, just kind of like baseline. Are there supplements that you want to share that you think are really good for those with ulcerative colitis, or does it really just depend on each person? Yeah. You know, I'm always hesitant to share only because I do think people really need to try to work with somebody to figure out what works for them. But there are a few, uh, there's L-glutamine that I've taken for years that just helps to kind of heal and keep the gut lining healthy. I've taken fish oil for many years because I, I do like to eat fish, but I don't think I get nearly enough of it. Um, and I take a, like a raw cod liver oil because most of the fish oil capsules don't have, from what I understand, nearly enough to help, you know, counterbalance that anti-inflammatory kind of response that we get from too much omega-6 and not enough omega-3 in our diets. Uh, and then there's one other one that I felt like was a kind of a game changer a couple of years ago. And it's, uh, it's called oh, butyrate. Yes. So good for the gut. And I, and I learned over the years I was researching it. And, and typically when people with UC are tested for butyrate levels, like I guess they're, they're usually really low. Uh, and so I started taking that probably five or six years ago. And I do feel like it, it is helpful. I mean, again, it's not, you know, one supplement hasn't made like a complete, you know, 180 difference, but they, I think they all have been working kind of hand in hand. Oh, I love that you shared those. In fact, I just talked to a doctor who deals with autoimmune issues and he said, a lot of people with autoimmune issues are very low in butyrate. And so yeah, I love that you just shared that. Yeah. Yeah. I also take CBD at night to help my just de-stress and kind of get, make sure that I get good sleep. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's, you know, there's so many different ones and, and it is a little bit of a, you know, kind of, uh, unchartered waters for a lot of people. And you can just go buy anything that you want right. and just start taking it. So I think you have to, you do have to be careful. I mean, just there's supplements, but there still are things that you're putting in your body and you could kind of equate it similarly to, you know, a medication, just going and taking a medication willy nilly. So I do think it's important to like really watch, you know, what the effects are on your body. Right. And to definitely work with their doctor on what's yes. best for their body. Yep. So I am really interested to talk to you about the cookbooks because yeah. just cooking for a family every night, I am fascinated with this. So <laughs> I, you have, you've released three New York Times bestselling cookbooks of foods that are good for your gut. Yeah. How did you go about creating all of these recipes? That's what I want to know. I, I had a lot of determination. I will say that when, when I was diagnosed and when I first changed my diet, I mean, I think at that point we're talking, I might've been 24 when I started my food blog and, you know, I just felt like I didn't have a lot of hope at that point that 
I would be able to enjoy and do all the things that I loved. I grew up in a family where both my mom and both my, you know, my grandmas, they showed their heart and their love by the food that they put on the table. And they all had very different cooking styles. My mom was very much like the convenient cooker, you know, lots of canned soups and packaged things. But regardless, she still had food on the table because she loved to gather our family together. And my grandma was the same, although she cooked everything from scratch, um, like the classic Italian grandma, you know, but I had dreams of being able to do that. I wanted to be able to host and have people around my table. I wanted to be able to do traditions with my kids that I grew up doing like baking cookies and brownies and gingerbread houses, you know, those types of things. And when I first started eating this way, I was just kind of living off of very bland food, like steamed broccoli and, you know, grilled chicken with nothing on it and grilled salmon with nothing on it. And I just was like, okay, this is okay for right now, but if I need to eat this way for the rest of my life, which it was pretty clear at that point that this was a lifestyle, it wasn't, you know, a 30 day fix. This was like, I need to do this for eternity, that I had to make it sustainable and making it sustainable for me was good food. So I got into the kitchen and I just, a lot of trial and error, but I would take, you know, my grandma's recipes or my mom's or something that I saw online. And and I would swap out ingredients that I knew I couldn't have and would swap in ingredients that I knew I could have. And, you know, I mean, there were loaves of pumpkin bread that came out feeling like a brick, but there, but then it, it got better and better. And I started really learning kind of the different properties of the ingredients and how they performed in the recipes. And yeah, but that's, that, it, that got me into the kitchen. I love that. It was just out of desire. And I would be yeah. the same way. Like I want to eat healthy, good, delicious food the rest yes. of my life, not the bland stuff yeah. you were talking about. So your cookbooks, do they have everything from snacks to meals to desserts? Yeah, they do. Um, They're all four a little bit different. My first one, I, it's everything. It's from breakfast straight through to some cocktails and mocktails, um, some kid-friendly items, you know, quick dinners, lots of baked goods. Uh, I have one book that's dedicated to easy weeknight meals. So that might be something that you would enjoy. Um, And the thing about the recipes is they are made and built to be able to feed anybody. Uh, They're not, you know, just for people who have to eat a certain way. They're just supposed to be really delicious and they have great flavors and textures. And I've always been really adamant that I test my recipes on somebody who can eat, you know, all the gluten in the world and all the sugar in the world and somebody who has to eat really restrictive and that on every side and in between, they all will just love the food. And so, yeah, there's a holiday book that, you know, is an entire Thanksgiving spread. That's all gluten and grain free and free of sugars and dairy and, Christmas treats. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it kind of runs the gamut and pretty much anything that you, that you miss or think you'd miss, you should be able to find in there. That's amazing. Uh, when you said anybody likes them, you know, anybody can eat these. It's not just for those with gut issues. I'm thinking, well, it's actually how we should all be eating. Really? I mean, it's (laughs) anti-inflammatory. They are foods that are healing to the gut. I mean, these are really good for everybody. Yeah. And it's just real food. You know, I mean, I'm, I I think that's the thing that I've always loved about the way that I was kind of forced to eat, but nobody was telling me to go buy special shakes or, you know, packaged bars or frozen, you know, meals that had only certain things. And it. it was just real food that I could pick up from the grocery store and create something, you know, beautiful and tasty with. And yeah, I mean, I think everybody would benefit from eating that way a little more frequently, even if it was not every day of the week, you know, just a few would help. Right. Well, I love trying to teach others that whole foods are really nourishing to the body and that's, you're using all whole foods for these recipes. So yeah, 
I'm really interested about the baked goods though. How did you, were you nervous with your condition to try baked goods? Like, were you afraid they would hurt your gut and cause inflammation issues? Yeah, not, I mean, I wasn't only because this book that I first started making food from because it was laying out kind of the, the way to eat for ulcerative colitis and celiac and Crohn's. It had some baked goods in there that used, you know, almond flour and coconut flour. And instead of butter, it was, you know, using coconut oil and things like that. And so looking at the ingredients, I'm like, okay, well, I can eat all of these things. You know, they say I can eat, I could eat some almonds if I wanted, and I could eat some coconut. And so, you know, I think all of these things combined should be okay. And, and so, yeah, I wasn't nervous so much about it hurting my body as I was about them not tasting good or falling <laughs> like flat, you know, sinking in the middle, those types of things. Um, but even still, you know, over the years. I do. I do a lot of fun treats and especially because I have three kids, but when I'm not feeling well, my body still really just likes the simpler foods. You know, I mean, even, even honey and maple syrup, those are natural sweeteners, but there's still sugar and, you know, too much almond flour, coconut flour is a lot of fiber. So yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it has to still be in moderation. I think that's the one thing I've always said. Yes, these are healthier versions, but it's, you know, I'm still not going to sit down and eat. 12 almond flour cookies, just because, you know, they're a healthier version. Those could still make my body hurt just from the, just the sheer volume of it. Right. So, um, I still eat them, you know, in, in moderation and for celebrations and things like that. I love that you say in moderation, because really that's how we should all be eating the baked goods, you know? Yeah. No matter what kind of baked goods they are. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not an every meal thing. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun treat, celebratory thing. And it's a better choice treat when you're having a treat. Yeah. So, Exactly. Okay. As you were talking about almond flour and coconut flour, things like that, I went right to the finances. I was like, oh, that's pricey stuff. So what about those that are trying to cook on a budget? Can they cook like you do? Yeah. So I think here's the thing, the, yes, the baked good, honey, almond flour, you know, coconut flour is actually relatively inexpensive. So I would go for that one if you're going to try to do some baked goods, but those things, I think once you stock your pantry, and again, if you're saving those kind of for more special occasions, I think that will help significantly reduce the budget. I also you know, I, I like to say, first of all, I spend so much less on medical bills and medications than I do now than I used to. And that's not going to always equate for people. So I don't think that's like, you know, the answer and it's not going to make it better for everybody. But I, I do think that you can utilize shopping, you know, smartly. I think there's a lot less waste in my opinion, when you're cooking with whole real foods, because you use them, you know, the whole thing and you're using them in other dishes. Um, but yeah, I think that the baked goods are the most expensive thing. I also think, you know, quality proteins, I'm very much a proponent for grass fed meats and organic chicken. But I also think that if you are cutting out refined processed foods and sugars and grains, and you need to do conventional, you know, meats and vegetables and fruits, you're still eating real foods. And if that's the best that you can do on your budget, then that's, that's a huge step forward still. And so I do think it's doable. I also think compared to what I used to have to pay for those ingredients in the early days, they are so much more affordable than they used to be because there's such a demand for them and they're so much more accessible. Um, and you can buy them in bulk and online and, you know, so things like that, I think can really help. Yeah, I definitely agree because years ago, some of that stuff, coconut flour was so expensive and now you can find it like at Walmart, you know, so a quarter of the price than it used to be. (laughs) Right. So it's definitely doable. And I found out on my health journey, when I first started switching to whole foods and whole food ingredients, 
I was like, my grocery bill actually has decreased from not buying all of the packaged processed foods. I was shocked because you always think eating healthier equates to more money. And it really doesn't if you're smart about it. It's true. And I will say, you know, I've actually, when you say like, do you eat processed things? You know, there's, there's a lot of paleo brands now that have made life a lot easier for a lot of us. You can get a salad dressing made with avocado oil and no sugar now, and you can buy, you know, grain-free crackers and cookies and things, but those items are very expensive. And so, you know, I think you have to really kind of pick and choose your convenience. You're going to pay more for convenience, even if it's a healthier version and, you know, and, but your time, you may not have the time to make those things. And so you kind of have to weigh them, but yeah, I feel like I hear that a lot. You know, those packaged foods are actually really expensive. And I think people are led to think that it's cheaper, you know, when it's already all packaged and, and, and done for you, but there's, you're paying for the, you know, the labor of something to be cooked. I mean, even so much as buying pre-cut vegetables in a grocery store. I mean, they can be three times the price than, right. than a, just a whole vegetable or, you know, buying chicken breast that's boneless, skinless is probably two to three times the amount of just actually buying the whole chicken itself right. and, and getting multiple parts and the bones to make the broth. So it, you do have to change your mentality about the way you shop for sure. And it comes down to convenience versus money sometimes as well. Yes. So Exactly. And sometimes it's a trade-off, you know, I mean, especially if you're busy with kids and you don't have the time to make those things, but you can afford to buy the pre-packaged ones, then that saves you time and stress and it could be worth it. Right. So if someone is listening to this and they're like, okay, I think I have just gut issues because it doesn't have to be Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. I mean, it can be a variety of gut issues. So your cookbook is for all gut issues. And so if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, where do I even start at the grocery store? What are tips that you would give them? Yeah. And then first I would say it's not even just for gut issues, although most ailments do kind of start, I feel like with inflammation and a lot of them start in the gut, but I've included testimonials and food saved me from people that have written in that food and the way that I write my recipes has helped everything from MS, multiple sclerosis to rheumatoid arthritis, to, you know, families with children, with kids on the spectrum, to debilitating migraines. I mean, just this slew of things. So I feel like it's not just, you know, something that you would immediately think, oh, that's a digestive disease. It's a lot of things. Um, But I would say, you know, I think starting with a 30 day elimination diet is a really great place to start because it gives your body time to heal. And it also gives your brain time to really look at that 30 days and see, you know, if there's been improvement, which I would almost bet my life that if you do a 30 day elimination and cut those things out, that you will see improvement in your symptoms. I mean, even if you don't have something that's severe as an autoimmune disease, you know, aches and pains and better sleep and brain fog and all those things that people say go away when, when they cut out grains and dairy and and processed foods. So I've got some starting lists in food save me of just kind of bullet points of, you know, here's, here's what you could start with cutting out. And then, you know, you might be able to add some of those foods back in. You might find that your body does okay with oats, or maybe it just does okay with rice, or it does okay with the goat's milk cheese, you know, but you can't know those things until you cut them all out and then add them one at a time and really see, you know, what your body's responding to. Well, and I love that you talked about your recipes helping like MS and arthritis and spectrum, things like that. Cause it's just an anti-inflammatory diet. Right. And so right. bringing down that inflammation and all those other health issues can really help. So thank you for yeah. sharing that. And yeah. talking about your book, 
So your new book that you just released is called Food Saved Me. And so I've heard you mention it a few times. So tell my listeners a little bit about that book. Yeah, it's my first book that's not in the cookbook category. (laughs) There's about five recipes at the back just because I talk about kind of the creation of them or how important they were, you know, to my healing journey. And so Food Saved Me is, it's my story, but more than anything, it was written to give others hope that are walking a similar journey from anything from, you know, chronic illness to autoimmune disease to even we talked briefly in there about uh, child loss that we went through and just how all of those things, you know, can affect our, our lives, but that we can't, and we don't have to let them rule and dictate what our life is like, you know, and how we have to be able to advocate for our health and our well-being and our happiness and that we can find hope and light throughout those dark times. Uh, It's also kind of a blueprint, you know, for what I did to figure it all out, but also sharing the hard times and the difficult times or the times that I needed to use medication, you know, just to give people a really honest viewpoint of what life looks like with chronic illness. Um, My husband also wrote a chapter at the end that I'm really happy that he did just as somebody who's walked with me, you know, from newlyweds for 14 years now, we just had our 14 year anniversary and walking through, you know, the loved one or the caregiver of somebody who deals with those things and, and what it looks like and how you can best help them, but also how you can really take care of yourself. He talked a lot in there about how he needed to take care of his mental health and his emotional health as I was going through those hard times and, you know, that he couldn't be depleted in his own right, or he couldn't help take care of me and the kids. And so I love, I love what he wrote just as a support to people going through that. I love that because as you were talking about that, I was like, oh, my husband could write a chapter on how he supported me through my depression because uh, the other side doesn't really get talked about. And so I love that he spoke up and told what it's like because it's a hard journey for them as well. It is. And I think sometimes when you're going through it and, you know, I mean, I don't know if you would say the same, but it's really hard sometimes to see outside of what you're going through. And when you're able to look back, you can see, you know, but if for me, I didn't even know that he was struggling, you know, I, I knew it was probably hard for him to watch me go through this and it was probably frustrating. And, but he would, you know, tell me years after when I first got diagnosed that he'd come home from the hospital after taking care of me, take care of our infant son. And then he would sit on the stairs and cry at night. And to me, he was just this solid, you know, rock that was supporting us all. And I never saw him falter. And I'm so happy that he was honest about what it feels like to go through that um, as the person that's walking with them. Because I think there's always for anybody that's suffering with, you know, disease or chronic ailments or depression, there's somebody that's next to them that's, you know, watching them go through it and that's helping support them. So, right. Oh, I'm so glad he wrote that. Yeah, I am too. So, okay. So people can buy this book and read about your journey. And I'm assuming in this journey, you give tips of where to start and what helped you best and things that have helped you along the journey, things like that. Yeah. 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 I have some really kind of just getting started guides in the back and, you know, with the cookbooks, I was never really able to dig in deep to the story. I was able to share bits and pieces and give you recipes to start, but not really give kind of like a, here's your jumping off point. And so I was able to include all of that in here. And so really anyone with really any health issues would benefit (laughs) from this book because we've discussed it's anti-inflammatory, which helps so many um, health issues. 
Yeah, I do. I think it's written, you know, anybody that's gone through anything, whether it's health or just any hardship, I think we'll find hope from it. And I think, and then on the flip side, anybody who wants to know what it's like in the shoes of somebody they love that's walking through those things can read it and have a much better insight because we suffer in silence a lot. You know, I think especially as, as women and if we're moms, you know, we just kind of power through things and we don't always tell people what it feels like to go through the thing that we're going through. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, somebody who feels like they're isolated or alone or not understood could also hand that book to somebody, you know, their spouse or their parent or their neighbor and say like, this is, this is what I go through. And, and that that person in turn can know how to better support them. I am so glad you wrote this book. I can't wait to read it because it just sounds like something that so many people could relate to right now because there's so many dealing with autoimmune issues and gut issues and health issues. So thank you so much for just being vulnerable and telling your story. It will be really helpful to others. I hope so. So thank you so much for sharing your story with me and my listeners. And I really appreciate you taking the time. I always end- I always end my podcast by asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient to life. What have you found that to be? Oh, uh, I I mean, joy for me, I would say I was going to try to come up with a food ingredient because that is what I do. But I think just always searching for the joy is my best ingredient for life because it's what keeps you going, you know, and it's, it's what gives you purpose to go another day, especially when you're going through hard things especially when you're going through dark times. I do know that because as a 22 year old, when you were going through your struggles, joy was probably really hard to find. It was incredibly hard to find, but I kind of always kept my eyes on it, you know, and, and even I've even through my setbacks, like I always look ahead to, even if I can't feel it in that moment, I try to imagine myself in a couple of months or a few months, you know, and plan something that will bring me joy, whether it's like, you know, setting my sights on going on a family vacation or being able to take a walk or, you know, something that, that I can grasp onto that I know brought me joy in the past. And I kind of, I try to look for that in the future so that I keep moving forward. I love that because it is the joy in the future that keeps us moving forward. It is. So. And it can be found. I think that's the one thing that's hard to, to realize when you're going through it, but it can come back even if you don't feel like it will. It definitely can. So tell my listeners where they can find you and where they can find all of these amazing cookbooks in your new book. Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Danielle Walker. Uh, My website, daniellewalker.com also has tons of free recipes. If you just want to get a little sneak peek, Um, all of my books, cookbooks, and then the new one food saved me, you can find anywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, you know, all of those, your independent bookstores, of course. Um, But yeah, those are, those are the best places to find me. I am so excited to try some of these recipes and share some of these recipes with my followers because I'm always thank looking you. for new healthy recipes. So oh, thank I'm you. really excited I can't wait to hear what you think. <laughs> I'm sure they're delicious. Thank you. Thank you again for taking time to share your story. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for giving me a chance to come on and chat with you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.